0: So today we're diving in did you guys read there's a lot to cover we're not going to be able to cover all of it today because i only got i got limited time but we're going to dive into what the lord's doing so okay so we're in we're in the book of exodus and there are these series of 10 plagues and so we've gone through nine of them and today we're going to go for the 10th plague. Um, If any of you have ever seen boxing, in a match there's all these rounds and then there's usually one final punch, they call that the knockout and the person falls. And this is the knockout plague. God is preparing Pharaoh to get knocked down. And if you'll remember, God is attacking these other lesser gods that the Egyptians have worshiped. And this, this book, the Bible, is the greatest love story ever written. It's about a God who fiercely, fiercely loves his people and makes a way for them, and he comes for them. And God God is the ultimate storyteller. So in this story, have you ever heard, you know, in writing they say, show, don't tell? This This series of the plagues, God is showing his power to the world and he's building and building and building so he's attacking the god of water that they worship the god of agriculture he's attacking all these other gods and it's going to culminate in this final blow that says god is the only god there is only one god and he's going to battle all of them to make that proven so if you remember the last plague anyone remember the last plague plague number nine was the plague of darkness have any of you ever been in complete in utter darkness. When I was, um, I lived in Ecuador the year after I graduated college, and we did a little excursion to the Amazon. Just to, you know, we had like a ten days of break, so we went into the Amazon, and there was the cutest little guy in the world. He was wearing a red swimsuit, and he had long hair. He was a jungle man, and they called him Mowgli. And he said, "Hi, my name's Mowgli. We're going to go into the, we're going to go into the jungle today. Do you guys want to come with?" And my friends and I are like, "Oh, absolutely!" He's like, "I know a secret waterfall way out there that I'll take you," and we're like great awesome so we follow Mowgli Mowgli literally has boots and a machete that's all he has and so he gives us boots no he doesn't give us machetes but we just we head into the forest there's no path this isn't like tour essential we're literally just going into the jungle to find this hidden waterfall so we're walking he's chopping things down and finally maybe like two hours of hiking we get to one of the most stunning beautiful waterfalls I've ever seen and Mowgli says okay go have fun enjoy and so we're just swimming, we're playing. We found, you know, this hidden paradise, and all of a sudden, Mowgli looks up and he goes, "Oh, we gotta go." Well, Mowgli hadn't counted in his head the time it would take us to get there and to get back. So he said, "The sun's about, the sun's gonna set in an hour," and we had a two-hour journey. So he's like, "Let's go, let's go, let's go." So we're, you know, we're all like kids in the candy shop. We just went swimming. We're walking. We're walking, and slowly the sun starts to go down, and we're not in any, we're not near electricity in any remote way. So finally, it's getting darker and darker and we're going through rivers. We're going through, like, I mean, this is not, there's no clear path. And all of a sudden it gets so dark that none of us can see. And so we're like, Mowgli, hey, can you, can you pull out your flashlight? And he's like, he literally just has his little red swimsuit. He's like, I don't, I don't got one. <laughs> and we thought it was a joke. We're like, well, you've done this before. You've brought groups. Like, do you, like, do you have a torch or something? He's like, no, I got nothing. And the darkness was so heavy, you could feel it. You could feel it in your heart. And so what he made us do is he made us get in a line and row and we had to hold each other's shoulders and we had to tell every person what we felt under our feet. There's a step coming up. I think I just crossed a snake. Oh, so, oh step over. But step by step by step in the pitch darkness, in the middle of the Amazon. So you hear a little, you hear a little roar and you think, is a lion gonna, you just don't know what it is. And fear can overtake you. When you're sitting in darkness it, there's nothing like it it's just this feeling of eerie and so god sets up the story that's the last plague. and these people are sitting in darkness and the fear is building and when things get dark guess what you start to do you start to look for the light so the lord leaves them in darkness and you better believe there's something churning in these people that says what is the light what's happening can i get out of this so god comes and God has one final plague. And we're gonna see that he sends Moses to Pharaoh to tell him what it is. And what the Lord is doing in this whole thing is the Lord is setting himself up to be the only God there is, right? The Lord says, there is no other God. You shall have no other gods before me. I am the one and the only, I'm the true savior. So this last plague, he sends uh, Moses to Pharaoh and Moses is to tell him the last plague is that the Lord Jesus will sweep through the Egyptian community and will kill every firstborn so moses is sent to tell pharaoh this and if you'll remember in the beginning of the story pharaoh had all the egyptian boys murdered remember the two women the, the midwives who saved the boys pharaoh in thinking he was god made this decree i want every single boy that's born to be killed and in exodus 4 god tells pharaoh israel is my firstborn god has chosen israel he makes Israel his firstborn. And so Moses goes and asks, Can we go worship our God? Can we go worship our God? Pharaoh says, No, 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 no. And finally, God says, I need to step in. You have not let my firstborn, how many of you have kids? Your firstborn, he says, You have not let my baby, my people, my chosen, you have not let them worship me. And this will not go unpunished. So because you have not listened, because you have not let them go, I will now flip the curse. I will bring justice to what you've done to my people, and I will wipe out all of your firstborns. It's painful, right? It's hard to think of what it would feel like to be there to hear that decree. So God sends Moses to tell him, and Moses, Moses tells him what's happening. And then in chapter 12, what I want to focus on today is after the Lord declares this decree, saying, I am the only God. And there is none other like me he goes into this long explanation of a dinner that he wants them to have to prepare for the night that he will do this and this dinner is called the passover and i want us to focus on this dinner tonight because there's a lot of instructions in it and as we'll see as we go through the text they all point to one thing they point to our lord jesus christ and savior because here's the deal god has a plan god has a plan for 430 years when the israelites were in the community they were thinking they were crying out thinking what's what's going on and all of a sudden all these plagues start coming and you know what the lord has a plan he knows what he's doing and some of you i just feel i get the sense some of you need to hear that today that the lord has a plan and you might be on plague number one or number 10 of your life and it feels like the blows just keep coming and you're like where is god god has a plan And we're going to see this today, what his plan is to rescue his people who he loves. And so he gives these instructions for this final, for this dinner that's going to happen right before he executes the plan. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them with me to Exodus 12. We're going to read the instructions for the Passover, and we're going to put on our eyes that see the coming Lord in Jesus, the person that God's made, his plan to redeem the world so chapter 12 verse 1 it says the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt this month is to be for you the first month the first month of your year right here God God is redefining time how many of you get to redefine time no me either um but the Lord Jesus he says I'm making you my people and because that I'm going to reset the entire calendar which is pretty amazing, right? And then we'll see when Jesus is born, the entire global calendar is reset. BC and AD all fall on the birth of Jesus Christ. Only the God of the universe, only the God of time has the authority to reset everything for his people. So he resets time in this first passage. He's resetting everything. He's saying the Exodus is going to be a new beginning for you. I'm starting you over. It's gonna be a brand new year that will then carry forth. So verse three, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. The 10th day of the month. Jesus on the week that he was killed entered Jerusalem for his final week, and he entered Jerusalem on the 10th day of the month. Verse four, if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. So this, this is not a huge feast, this is not a celebration. There is one lamb for every household, only one. So if there's a group of 30 that come, they have to divide the pieces the Lord is pointing to the fact that there is only one savior. There is only one lamb, and every household only could have one lamb, which points to the lamb of Jesus to come. Uh, Verse six, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So the family is supposed to pick a lamb on the 10th and then they bring it into their home and they spend four days with the lamb. And there's two reasons for this. One, they have to examine the lamb and make sure that it's perfect. It can't have any defects, it has to be spotless because the lamb of Jesus, the lamb that atones, that, that cleanses our sins, the lamb has to be perfect so they have four days to inspect if that lamb is perfect and then on top of that the lord asked them to bring them into their house because the family starts to love the lamb the lamb has to come at a cost they have to get to know them as their lamb to know to foreshadow that god is our savior that there is a cost in the shedding of its blood, that it's not some random animal that they don't know that they'll never see. Once, if for four days living with them, it becomes part of the family, Just kind of crazy to think about. So in verse eight, it says, oh, verse seven, then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Verse eight, that same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. So we see here in this instruction that the lamb must be roasted. They can't boil it, they can't prepare it any other way. And this is a symbolism for when Jesus was on the cross and experienced the full wrath of God, the roasting. And these bitter herbs are just a reminder of the bitterness that God, that the world felt when he's punished his one and only son, the bitterness of sin, the bitterness of evil in our world. And then it says with the um, bread made without yeast, we'll get to that. Verse nine, do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. This is to symbolize that when we receive Jesus as savior, we receive all of him. We just don't take parts of him that we like. We don't take some of his words. We don't take half of his teaching. We receive all of him, every single part of him. Verse 10 says, do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is to show that nothing can be left behind. When Jesus died on the cross, he was on the cross, and the last words he said is, it is finished. Not to be continued, not keep praying, not hope that it comes, it was done. So when they eat this meal, when they eat the Passover, he says, you have to finish all of it. Leave nothing left. If any 's left, burn it. It must be completely done. And then it says, do not leave any of it till morning. Verse 10, if some of it's left till morning, you must burn it. Verse 11, this is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So when I was a little girl growing up in Wisconsin, there... <laughs> Has anyone lived in the Midwest or a place that's very cold? It, it, I can't even explain to you, especially at 96 degree weather, how cold the mornings are. When you are a child and you wake up in the morning, like you can, you, you can see your breath. And I had very frugal German parents, so our heat did not run high in my house. So every morning I would have to get up. And when you're little, you don't have a ton of body fat. I mean, most kids just don't. So you get up and you have to get out of your warm bed and you have to walk to your closet and you have to de-robe in negative 20 degrees. And it it is one of the most excruciating experiences I had as a child. And so I had this brilliant idea come to mind. I think it was a God, it was inspiration, it was revelation. When I was in third grade, I realized that I could go to bed in my clothes and avoid the whole shenanigan in the morning. So I had this, you know, the revelation came at recess or something and I was like, um, tonight I'm doing it. I didn't tell my mom and dad because they would not have been uh, pleased with that. But literally that night I climbed into my little jeans. I wore jeans to bed, put on my thick sweatshirt, my socks, had everything to go. So I did not have to do that awful walk and the derobing and the freezing to put on my clothes. And let me tell you, it worked so well that I repeated it for the next four years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> But there was this sense in me that I knew, I knew how to get ready. I knew how to avoid the cold. And the Lord is saying here, he says, get ready. When you eat your meal, literally he says, tuck your cloak into your belt. They used to wear long garments where if they got up and walked, they might, they might trip over their cloak. And he said, no, 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 no. You get ready, prepare yourself, tuck your cloak in, keep your sandals on, grab your staff. Cause the second I deliver you, you're free, so you get ready, because it's coming. Now remember, they've waited 430 years in bondage. So the Lord is telling them something that does not make sense in their head. They're not like, oh yeah, you've acted quickly in the past. So this is an act of faith. He says, eat it, for when it comes, it'll come faster than you can imagine. And that's what I love about our God, is there are things that we go through, there are seasons in our life, there are storms that we walk through that in an instant God can flip. God tells us always be ready on every occasion in and out to give a testimony for the hope you have. Be ready for the Lord can switch it in a second. That's how powerful our God is. That's how amazing he is that in one swift move, the end can come of their enslavement. Um, So verse 12, it says, "'On the same night I will pass through Egypt "'and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, "'and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. "'I am the Lord.'" So this is God bringing judgment on, his, on all the gods that are existed before him. And when I was reading this passage, I had kind of this, this quiet moment where I just sat and I listened and I said, God, what do you want me to share? Like, what do you think the women need to hear today? What do I need to learn? And you know how God is so gentle with us when he whispers, especially when it's like correction. I felt like the Lord just whispered to me like, here's God bringing judgment on all these other gods. And when we hear that, we think like, What a weird society like who would worship the sun who would worship the water who would worship you know the the fields of the thing and i feel like god was like holy your culture worships much funnier things (laughs) label designer shoes are you serious celebrities you worship houses you worship cars you worship you worship much crazier gods but when i was listening to the lord i felt like he said to me he whispered it and it was it was a humbling moment. And I said, God, what do you want the ladies to hear? And he he just whispered, he said, Coley, you are Pharaoh. You have made yourself the God of your life. You've put yourself on the throne above me. And he said, I felt this 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 sense of truth hit me, of like, you're right. Like I I have made myself an idol in my own world and our culture, our culture endorses that. I mean, I can think of so many sayings like, you get yours, you do you, whatever works for you, get yours, yeah, you, you're amazing, yeah, you go after whatever you want, girl, you deserve it, right? We live in a culture that makes us our own gods and that's what Pharaoh was doing. Pharaoh was his own god and he wanted all the people to worship him, right? And I just, I had this moment of humility and I'm like, you know, I think, I think there is a little Pharaoh in all of us. I think if I asked any of you, hey, do you want to be queen for the day? I don't think many of us would say no, right? I mean, control over the whole nation, how fun would that be? I think there's a lot of things we would do. The first thing I would do is I would institute Churro Monday and all churros would be free. <laughs> And then on Tuesday I would do Taco Tuesday and everyone gets double because that's the that's the gift of the spirit in me, right? But if we were to rule and reign, think about I mean, think about the implication of that. If God actually let you be ruler, just think of the control if you could control anything, you could control what your kids did, you could control who they're friends with, you can control your spouse and what he says and what he does. You can control your financial situation, you can control what people say about you you can tr- control what happens to people right in the fall in in the Garden of Eden Adam and Eve their first mistake was that they wanted to be like God and that's still that's still existent in our hearts today this desire to be like God to take that control to have that power and so I felt like when the Lord was saying this he was saying holy you know in your head that there is only one God but you still wrestle with putting me on the throne you put yourself there and this is the last plague god said this is the most dangerous and deadly of the things you can do is to make yourself a god and to have people worship you and to wish that you had control and we do this in so many ways we think sometimes you know we know god's word or we know what's right and wrong and we think yeah not for me I'm, I'm gonna go a different way or like oh god loves me like this is fine if i do it my way God says, no, you are to have no other gods before me. I am the one true God. And so he institutes the Passover meal because what he's doing is he's making a way for people to come back to him. He's preparing them for the coming of Jesus Christ. And so what he does is he has them celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. That unleavened bread, how many times do you think it was mentioned in our passage? A lot, I didn't even count, it was too many. So unleavened bread, would be bread that's made without yeast. So one commentary said, it essentially takes the flavor out of it. It makes it not good. It's like if you've ever had to do paleo or something, you had to give up carbs. All you think about is carbs. You're just like carbs, 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 carbs. When they took the yeast out of this bread, they made it bad. So it wasn't like they didn't want to eat it. It was kind of, it was kind of flat. It was kind of boring. And it would remind them that God delivered them so quickly they didn't have time to put yeast in it. But it also reminded them yeast, a little bit of yeast will go a long way to rise the bread. And it was a reminder that evil and sin, just a little bit worked in, can do a lot of damage, can fluff up and puff up our pride, can make us something we're not. And so they had to eat unleavened bread so that they were to remember how quickly the Israelites got out of there and how fast the Lord delivered them. And so when we think about the Passover meal, God instituted so that it would happen every single year, seven-day festival, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And he did this because he's, remember, he's establishing Israel now. He's saving them up out of bondage and delivering them. And he's about to bring them into the promised land, right? And for those of you who have read ahead, you know that the promised land isn't coming as quickly as they think, right? It's not some little day journey. It's a little bit longer than that. But God has a plan. And so before they left, God tells them, I want you to ask all the Egyptians for their silver and gold. Do you remember that? Do you remember that, that they were supposed to ask them and the darkness had made the neighbors so afraid that they're like, take whatever, take whatever you want. So in 430 years of slavery, think of all the money that Pharaoh made off the Israelites. Human trafficking. He had just taken everything from them. And in 430 years, in a single night, God reversed it the Egyptians gave them everything they had why because god has a plan and god knew that they would be in the desert the wandering vacation so to speak he knew that they would be there for 40 years think about how expensive it would be to live in a community of hundreds and thousands of people for for, for 40 years so god gave them everything that they needed to buy the caravans to buy the food he's preparing them to Be his people. He's calling them out. He's saying, I've restarted the calendar year and every year I want you to celebrate this. And why do I want you to celebrate this? I want you to tell the story. God is a storyteller and the story is his love. And he says, I want you to tell your kids. I want you to teach them to obey me. I don't want you to forget that I brought you out of slavery and I'm delivering you. When we were in Mexico last week, We got to do something pretty powerful. We went down to the red light district one night, and we got to walk through the streets, and we got to pray for some of the women who were in forced slavery. They were in prostitution. And it's not something we normally see in the States. I think stuff like that generally happens in clubs, it's like off the streets, but Mexico is very different. It's very blatant. Every girl was lined the streets, and our team just got to go through and to pray for them, and you, as you walked down the street, you had to be really sensitive. Rosie and Carlos taught us that you have to be able to read their body language, because they are being watched by their owners. Their pimps are walking the street. And so if a woman didn't look at you, if a woman didn't, it didn't respond to you, you were not to force anything, you were to respect that, knowing that was her safety on the line. And walking through that street, to see women enslaved like that, it breaks your heart our team was profoundly impacted by the walk through there and when god looks at us and he sees us enslaved to sin when he sees us worshiping other gods when he sees that we're stuck he feels the same way he wants to save us he wants us to be free he wants us to be able to worship him and that is why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to set us free from death to life. And so in this passage, you see that the the people have a choice. He tells them that this is the Passover. This is what you're to do. And then you're to go out and you're to mark your doorway with blood. Now God knows, God knows everybody. God knows how many hairs are on your head, how many hairs are on your son's head. God knows everything about us. God knew who his people were. He wasn't gonna pass through and say, oh, who's that, Coley? Who's Coley? He knew his people but he had them mark it on their door as an act of faith for them. It's one thing to know who God is, it's one thing to trust him, it's another thing to act on it. So he said, I want you to believe, I want you to trust me that this lamb that you have killed will take the death that's gonna pass over. I am transferring the punishment to the animal and their blood will set you free. And they had to believe that. This is the first time God allowed an animal to take the place of a firstborn. And so it was up to them. It was up to them to have faith to believe. And the Bible doesn't record if Israelites didn't do it. And the Bible also doesn't record if any of the Egyptians did it and believed. And that's the choice that we all have in life. We get to choose if we believe in Jesus. I heard this said once and I love it. Jesus is a gentleman. He will never force his way into your heart. He will knock, but it is your choice to open the door and let him in. And so part of our faith is receiving Jesus, is taking that act of faith that says, I believe in you and I believe that you've covered my sins. And so Jesus, Jesus, when he came, fulfilled all the prophecy of the Passover. And do you know that the Last Supper is the first night of the Passover? He was going to celebrate with his disciple this meal that God had taught his people to do every year to remember him. And so Jesus taught them a different way. So when Jesus came, he introduced to them communion. And this is what we know is our sacred thing. We don't celebrate the Passover, at least most of us don't anymore, because Jesus came and it was Jesus who spilled his blood that saves us. It was no longer a lamb. It says Jesus is the lamb of God. Do you remember when First 1 John 1:29? He says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus didn't come just to set us free from a situation we were in physical slavery. He came to set us free for eternal life. How beautiful is that? And the theme—the theme that I got throughout this whole text—the thing I heard in the background of it all was just this little spirit that said, "Remember, remember, remember." God knows how forgetful we are. He knows that we're gonna—that inst- it's so easy for us to turn to other gods or to put ourselves on the throne because we want control. He knows that, and so He gave us the communion, which we're gonna celebrate in just a minute. He gave us communion to remember what He did to remember that he's died for us and that he wants to be the king of our life. And I thought about it last night, and if I, if I had to go around and ask all of you ways that God's been faithful, prayers that he answered, we, we would take up the whole day because there are so many things that we're living in right now that are answers to prayer, but we forget it. Like I was thinking last night, for so long I prayed, God, where, where do you want me to work? What job would you have me to do? And God called me to CA, and I'm living that out now. And God, and I prayed, God, can, I, can you give me community? Can you give me friends? And I have so many friends here among you. But what happens is, is we forget the things that we pray for, right? The second he gives them to us, I don't know about you, but I'm on to the next thing on my list. I'm like, okay, I got the jobs, I got the friends. Next, husband. <laughs> right? But, but our desires, our needs can switch from, suddenly God's faithfulness in the past doesn't matter. Suddenly we want the next thing, but God says no. Don't miss what I've done. Don't forget who I am because that is what sets you free. And so the Lord, Jesus, shared a meal with his disciples and he changed the Passover to the Lord's Supper because Jesus was the fulfillment of the Passover. Jesus was the lamb. And Jesus and the Lord, when he called his people to partake in the Passover, it was so that they knew what to see. And when they saw Jesus, they would recognize him as everything on the list.